All right. Well, thank you for praying together, and we have the opportunity today to finish out our Christmas series, which, if you don't remember, we had called the Epic, you know, look at Christmas and salvation history. So we started in Genesis 3, we've touched down in Numbers 24, looked at the theme of the family of God throughout all of Scripture, looked at Galatians 4, and now today we're in Revelation 12. So Genesis to Revelation in the course of a month, just as promised, therefore we've touched every part of the Bible, obviously. Now we are going to look at Revelation 12, it is a really cool text. Of, of looking at what God has done, and i um, excited to dive into that. What I want to do is read through it and then pray, and then I'm going to need some help from some child actors and actresses. So let's read through Revelation 12 together, if you would stand for the reading of Scripture and, um, and hear from God. In a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven crowns, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the, crown, sorry, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels, fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and the, that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. God, thank you for the way that you communicate to us through so many different means, even in scripture, through direct teaching, through story, through images, through symbolism, through prophecy, through all sorts of things. And I pray that as we look at Revelation 12 today, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking to us, you would be continuing to change us into your image, that you would encourage us with your power and goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, so first thing we need to look at is actually uh, this image that Hannah is going to kindly throw on the screen. This uh, you might recognize as being in the category of political cartoon. So what I want you to do is, is help me understand this. What's the donkey? The Democratic Party. What is the elephant? Republican Party. And we have a little ring. We got this dude looking very bored, saying, I wish the circus was closing. And the circus label says Congress. Now, for all of us living here right now, we know donkey equals Democrats, elephant equals Republicans. Why do we know that? Well, there's no, nothing on this image that tells us that. We know this culturally. We understand that these have been used as logos, mascots. Um, we see the name Congress, and we know what Congress means. Those of us who have been educated in the United States government realize Congress is you know, a governing body that helps make laws. And we know what a circus is, because we know that whether it's Barnum and Bailey or something else, a circus is a show of animals doing things or people doing weird stuff or people doing acrobatic feats or any number of things. And it's generally just for entertainment, but we also know that we have often used the term circus to kind of call some, something that's supposed to be serious, disorganized and goofy. So all of that builds into this image, which was in some newspaper or whatever, and I found online the other day, and conveys a lot via symbols. Now, instead, pretend that we're living 2,000 years from now, and we've pulled up this image in an archaeological dig or a digital dig. We might not even have elephants and donkeys two years from now. Who knows? Or 2,000 years from now, I mean. We would have to do some level of making sure we understand what's going on in the present day in order to understand the message that's underlying here. But the message is very clear to us now. And the reason I pull this up is because in many ways, the book of Revelation has a lot of political cartoon type dynamics going on. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of imagery, a lot, a lot, a lot of callbacks to the Old Testament. This is, by the way, if you have never read the Old Testament or think it's dumb, uh, that's, I'm sorry for that and you're wrong uh, on those two points. <laughs> but you will never, ever properly understand the book of Revelation if you don't know the Old Testament. Um, you know, to some degree, and if you aren't looking at the references back to it, because there are more references to the book of the Old Testament, books of the Old Testament in Revelation than like anywhere else in Scripture. There's so much allusion and so much callback to what's happening in the prophets or in Genesis and all throughout that help explain what's happening in Revelation. So if you think of Revelation in some degree, not in goofiness or comedy, but like a political heart cartoon, there's a drama going on in Revelation. And in many ways, you start in Revelation at the opening. John's like, I had this grand vision and Jesus was there. And then you have seven letters to the churches, seven epistles, as we would look at the rest of the New Testament. And they're very similar in many ways to those epistles. And then from there, the story begins that lays out this drama over the course of the book of Revelation to make John's point and the point that God was giving John in the vision of Revelation. So as we look at this today, what I want us to realize is that we're not just reading random symbols. These are things with a message that is carried through in the form of a story that is intended revelation from God to teach us and, and lead us and guide us. Um, so as we look at this chapter and these verses in it, what we see overall is that there is a, a repeated view of a couple different perspectives of the time from Christ's birth until eternity. And we'll see that together 
in a minute. But first, as I said, I need some child actors or actresses. So who wants to step up here and help us realize what this, you know, children of any, of any age or maturity level? Uh, <laughs> all right, Jane, Elena, anyone else want to come help, up, help act? We only need a few, so. Okay, so who wants to be a dragon? Okay, Jane's a dragon. Who wants to be a woman? <laughs> okay, Elena's a woman. Great, okay, so Elena, come stand over here. Okay, Jane's a dragon. You want to be Michael? Sure. And some angels and random other people? Sure. Excellent. Okay, so here's the thing. Started this vision. So let's review this again, what happens. I saw a great sign appeared in heaven. Now, he's not going to say that again the rest of this chapter. So as we're going through this chapter, there is one summary, a great sign, that then flows out in multiple things. There are other, symbol, other times throughout Revelation in this section from 12 till close to the end that he says, I saw a great sign of this, and I saw a great sign of that. So this whole section is one big, I saw a great sign. First thing he sees, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. So she's clothed with brightness, clothed with the sun. On her head are 12 stars. We tried to find an image of this to throw on the screen, and they were all like too creepy or too low resolution. So we left it to the side, but it's better this way anyway. Beneath her was the moon. So we have the sun, the moon, and 12 stars. I don't know if any of you are already recalling this or not, but this is a callback to Genesis 37. In Genesis 37, Joseph had two dreams that he told his brothers about. One of them was they were sheathing hay and their hay bowed down to his hay. And they're all like, what, you're going to be our king? The other one, he's like, I was basically in space and the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And his father Jacob says to him, what, would your mother and I and your 11 brothers bow down to you? Come on, dude. But Genesis 37 is, is using the sun, Jacob, the moon, the mother, 12 stars, there were 12 brothers. Right, so seemingly Joseph was a 12th star. There's only 11 technically mentioned in Genesis, but Joseph being the 12th tribe would be the 12th star. So a woman clothed with a sun, standing with the moon beneath her feet and 12 stars around her head, seems very clearly to represent the people of God. As we're looking at that imagery and recognizing this view from Genesis that is in the background of all that, that people would be hearing in the New Testament. Okay, so she's there. She's pregnant and crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. Good luck. Okay. I forgot to bring a pillow that you could stuff in your shirt. But she's actively in birth pains, right, getting near the end. And this is also something that's been referenced in the prophets, this concept of the people of God giving birth, like laboring in pains, waiting for the Messiah, waiting in pains, laboring for when God's going to rescue and redeem so this concept that the people of God would be in birth pains, waiting to give birth for what? For who? We don't know yet. We have to look down a few verses. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God into his throne. So she's giving birth to the Messiah. Right? So this lines up with Old Testament, like birth pains until that day. So she's, giving, she's in labor for the Messiah. Now, as she's in labor for the Messiah, who comes along? Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. You're not red. Oh, your hair's red. We're good. <laughs> With seven heads, good luck, and ten horns, 
and on his head seven crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, the dragon might eat the child, might devour it. The great red dragon. Now we've already had, even in this month, we looked at Genesis, we looked at the start of the serpent slash dragon symbolism. And we'll see later in this, in this chapter, as we already read, it refers to the dragon is the Satan, is the devil. So we know, as we're looking at the people of God about to birth the Messiah, and the dragon's trying to consume the Messiah, here we have the cosmic war going on through the ages, right? We have the devil trying to squelch God's plans for rescue and for Messiah. Okay, tail swept down a third of the stars. Uh, he's attacking He's crushing angels, crushing <laughs> those who would do right, etc., etc., seeking to eat the Messiah. She gave birth to the male child, one who is through all the nations were out of iron, and then the dragon ate him and we're done. Nope. But when he tried to eat it, her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So the entirety of Jesus' life, the entirety of the Messiah's existence on earth is summarized in he was born... And then he was caught up to God in his throne. So here we have the birth to the ascension all at once. He's caught up to God into his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God to be nourished for 1260 days. And end scene. Oh, but war arose in heaven. So now we have a scene shift. As we're looking at this view of the dragon trying to eat the, the Messiah, but then instead, wars arising in heaven. And now we have Michael. Michael and his angels. So there's a whole bunch of angels behind him. They are fighting against the dragon. So take out your swords and fight. Okay? Dragon and his angels fought back, but was defeated. No longer any place for them to be found in heaven, and they were cast down to the earth. Good job, Michael. We have a dragon on the earth. And then the loud voice in heaven proclaims glory and praise which we're going to move past for a second and pick back up in verse 13. So the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth. He's mad. He pursues the woman. The woman, again, God's people, who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given wings of the great eagle that might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. Now, we basically just read that previously in verse 6. She fled into the wilderness, a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1260 days. Verse 14, fly from the serpent to the wilderness to the place to be nourished for a time and times, and half a time. Now, generally speaking, in prophecy, when you're looking at time, you're looking at the Jewish calendar, which is a 360-day calendar. 1,260 days equates to 360 plus 720 plus 180. Time, 360 days, one year. Times, 720 days, two years. Half a time, 180, half a year. So the fact that it says in the one case 1,260 days, in the other case time, times, and half a time, these line up very nicely. So she's being protected. So then what? He's like, oh, well, this is stupid. You're being protected. I'm going to pour water at you, verse 15. So the serpent pours out water out of his mouth like a river to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth comes to the help of the woman. So you got a river of water coming along, and I didn't have an actor to be the earth. But the earth eats the water. Says, nope, the woman is still protected. The dragon is now angry again, furious with the woman, and goes to make war on the rest of her offspring. Those who keep commandments of God, so go find the rest of her offspring somewhere and go fight. 
Okay. Thank you, actor and actresses. Good job. I wanted just to take a minute to review that drama again together by doing that, even though we had already read it, because that's the point here. Like, this, this is story. It is drama that's going on. So as we look at it, there's a few themes that we see happening here. First, God is sovereign. The Satan is limited. And I say the Satan on purpose because I want to call attention to this fact that this is not just a name. It is actually a title throughout all of Scripture. The Satan, the accuser is used throughout all of scripture of the opponent of God's people, of the devil. This is not to say, oh, it's not Satan. It is. But it's to realize, and, and we, we also gloss over this, unfortunately, with the name Messiah, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. The Christ is the title of Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. Just as Jesus is the anointed, the Messiah, so the devil is the Satan, the accuser. So much so that we just end up defining him as Satan like as a, almost a proper name. But realize, God is the sovereign one. And this one over here, the Satan, the accuser, he is limited. He, his efforts are pitiful. He can't stop God. He tried to get the child and utterly failed. I'm going to consume it. It's gone. All right, so much for that. I'm going to get the woman. Oh, the woman's given the wings to fly away with you. I'm going to pour water after her. Oh, the water got eaten up by the earth. Any effort a serpent gives, that the dragon gives, is just gone, gone, gone. You tried, you missed, you had no effort that would succeed. It's like when you think of Roadrunner and the Coyote in the old cartoon. You always got the Coyote trying to catch the Roadrunner. He tries all these different amazing contraptions with which to catch the Roadrunner. And every time, the Roadrunner just escapes. Coyote's too slow, the Coyote's contraption hits him in the head instead, any number of things. Failure, 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 or some sort of like spy versus spy where the one's always winning or any number of things. You can think of all these stories we have where one person's constantly ahead of the other one. This is what we see. There's not really a competition going on here to speak of. It's just the serpent tries something and fails and the serpent tries something and fails because God has it all under control. He is sovereign. Here we have the serpent being defeated yet again as promised all the way back in Genesis 3. God keeps his promises. He fulfills his promises till the beginning of time <laughs> all the way to the end. So the Satan, the accuser, can accuse all he wants. He can roar and grouse and whatever else. And meanwhile, God, the sovereign, is saying, no, you don't have any power here. This is not the battle of two equals, two juggernauts trying to see who's going to win. This is not like the myths that we read in other religions or other nations throughout the years. It's not like our sports battles these days where you see who's going to win and two teams are really good for several years or whatever. This is one person who is actually sovereign of all things and someone else giving pitiful efforts to try to disrupt things along the way. Mad because he can't have things, like a little child throwing a fit. So theme number two, battles will come, but God provides. We see all throughout this, this text, starting with verse 6, really, like the woman's going to the wilderness to have a place prepared by God to be nourished. Why does she need to go be nourished? Well, there's some sort of sense that she's going to be attacked or something, and that fleshes out in verses 7 through the end. The devil is mad that he didn't get the baby, so now he's going to chase the woman. 
And then he doesn't get the woman, so he's mad, so he's going to go chase the children of the woman, the, the people of God more individually. And he's going to do this. He's, you know, this chapter finishes, he went to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. It's not like, oh, and then he failed and was done forevermore. This is, here, folks, is where we are. As, as John's writing this to the seven churches that are receiving the letter of Revelation, receiving the seven letters to the seven churches at the beginning, he's saying, yes, the dragon is making war on you. The dragon is making war on us. But, as already established in the first theme, God is sovereign. But the woman, the people of God, has a place prepared to be nourished for this time. And the dragon, verse 12, he knows that his time is short. As G.K. Beale has referenced in his commentary on this, and others have noted as well, the woman's time in the wilderness is also equal to the time of Israel's tribulation prophesied in Daniel. This 1260 days, this time, times, and half a time. Again, the Old Testament is referenced everywhere as Revelation recognizes the fulfillment of all things. So we see here this promised time that things are going to be rough, yes, but God also has it handled. There's, there's going to be battle what God provides. And similar to the previous example of thinking through like the Roadrunner and Coyote stuff, we also have scenarios where people seem to have an answer for everything. It's like, yes, but I'll do this. Oh, but I've already got a plan for that. Or what about this happened? Oh, I've got a plan for that. Or someone who's very good at trip planning. The logistics arise and, oh, no, what are we going to do about whatever? Oh, I researched that. We're good. I've got these special tickets that I bought. Oh, okay. Well, what about food? Oh, that's in that bag under there. Okay. What about how are we going to get there? Yeah, I already got the car. I already packed it even. You, all you have to do is get in, right? The person who has the answers for everything that might come up and each little wrinkle that arises is smoothed out because they're already there. That's what we see here from God. It's like, well, the serpent decides to throw water at the woman. Nope, the earth's going to eat it. Like, not only is this the futility of the serpent, but it's the utter preparedness of God. There is nothing that we can face that God does not already know about and prepare for. I've been reflecting a fair bit recently on the nature of construction work or home repair work or that sort of thing. And professional work versus amateur work, where I am definitely amateur and others are professionals. And we've talked, Kristen and I, and you know, talking together or talking with family members or people that check in, how's the house going? And it's like, you know, you work on projects and then they end up taking longer than you expect them to. But at some point you expect them to take longer than you expect. So is it really taking longer than you expect? I'm not sure. But it feels like more problems occur for me as an amateur. But then I realize as I reflect on it, well, no, I'm just not prepared for the problems that come up. <laughs> because the professional is going to encounter the same stuff behind the wall or behind the sink or whatever as I'm going to see, except the professional is going to go, oh, yeah, seen that before. I've got it in my truck. Here we go. Meanwhile, I'm going to take 16 trips to Lowe's in the course of an hour trying to find the right thing and thinking I have it every time and then determining, oh, no, I don't. Shoot, try again. It's not because... The professional wouldn't encounter the problem, but the professional would be prepared for the problem. It's not that we won't encounter issues. It's that God's totally prepared for all of them. God knows exactly what's coming and what to do about it. So the dragon wants to chase the woman. God gives her protection. The dragon wants to throw water at the woman. God swallows it up. The dragon wants to go chase down the people of God. Well, what are we to assume except that God is continuing to protect us as well? The third theme, and perhaps the most important one to realize, 
is that the war is won. This entire thing shows the dragon is defeated. And even the efforts he's making now are efforts in defeat. It's interesting throughout this passage how many times throw comes up. The devil just gets thrown around a lot. It's like he's, he stands before the woman and he gets thrown down from heaven. You know, Michael and his angels are battling. He's defeated and he's thrown down and he's thrown down over here and thrown around over there and thrown d- down to the earth. And it's like God throws the devil and the devil throws a fit. It's basically what we see here. Like he's like, I'm going to be amazing. Oh, and they're like thrown to the earth. Oh my goodness, you jerk. I'm going to go get your people. Oh, come on. Like this, we have this phrase, too little, too late, that we often use. You know, and it's like every effort is way too little, too late. The dragon is defeated. He knows his time is short, and so he's just mad. He's just pitching a fit. It's, it's like the athlete who goes out and tries to injure someone in the final two minutes when they're down by 50 points. It's like, what are you doing? You're just being an idiot. You're no longer playing sports. You're just trying to hurt someone. He's just running around throwing a fit. He didn't get the toys he wanted, so he's rolling on the floor throwing a tantrum. This is the picture we're getting from Revelation 12. That doesn't make it any less real when we're facing battles in life, but on the cosmic scale, it's like, yeah, he's defeated, and he's down here angry and throwing a fit on the ground. That's what we're dealing with on earth. It's not that the dragon, it's not that Satan has real power to do real things that are outside of God's control somehow. It's not that the battles or the trials or temptations we face are suddenly new. God's like, oh shoot, I wasn't expecting that. No, it's that that the devil's rolling around going, and all of that kind of comes out in pain and temptation and trial and, and we feel the impact of it. But that's what he's doing. He's throwing a fit. One of the images that I, decided not to use, and Kristen affirmed it was a good idea, uh, is of the Black Knight from Monty Python. Those of you who have ever seen the scene of Monty Python with the Black Knight, it's uh, King Arthur is going on a mission, and the Black Knight stands in his way to protect a little patch of ground about three feet wide and claim he's not allowed to cross it. And so King Arthur chops off his arms, and he's like, come back here, I'll beat you, and he like, starts kicking him. And like, he cuts them off in sequence, like one arm, and he's like, I'll get you anyway. Then the other arm, he's like, I'll kick you. And then he cuts off his legs. He's like, get back over here, I'll bite your ankles off. You're like, you have this knight at one point just sitting there with no arms and no legs, like stubs on the ground, still like yelling out curses of I'm going to beat you anyway, get back over here, you coward, and all this kind of thing. And like, yeah, this is, this is basically what we're reading right here about the devil. <laughs> he's defeated. <laughs> he's sitting there with, with stumps and like screaming anyway, trying to do stuff anyway angry, annoyed that he's beat, but totally beat. As G.K. Beale said, in fact, the troubles of the persecuted saints occur now, not because Satan is too powerful for them, but because he has been decisively overthrown. He does all the damage he can, but he cannot prevail over the church in any ultimate way. Yeah, there's real stuff happening, but it's not because he's too powerful. It's not because we don't know what's going to happen. It's not because he's in this cosmic war with God and as they war, it hurts us too. No, the best he can do is try to hurt us in this temporary existence. And the worst he can do is kill you and send you on to eternity with God. (laughs) His most successful effort is just to disrupt the ability for you to get there sooner anyway. He's very defeated. There is no option for the believer to be overthrown by the devil. And so in light of all these things, verse 10 
through 12 really form the hinge of this chapter in many ways in terms of reflecting on what has happened. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. You hear that mixture of, of joy and reality? Like things are still rough, his time is short. But, but glory to God, it's, it's actually done. This is why when I, when I titled this sermon, I called it War is Over, Battle Remains. It's like, sometimes we say, you know, you've won the battle, but you're going to lose the war. We, we refer to the battle in smaller chunks. What Revelation 12 says is, no, no, the big picture is done. The big war is already won. All that's happening right now is there's some battles until the end of this because the dragon's mad. He's kind of raging around throwing a fit. So there still are some battles that are happening. But the war is done. The war is over. D-Day has come. It's, it's all over. Like God has provided. You are assured. Your salvation is assured. Your eternity is assured. And the devil is just kicking around trying to do some damage on the way out the door. Like an angry tenant who's been evicted and, you know, scars up the walls before they leave. Or like a person who's going to get their car repoed and they know it, so they go on a joyride and, you know, wreck the gears while they're doing it. Like it's not, they don't have any power from doing that. They're just throwing a fit and creating a mess. The thing that's really interesting and cool in this and the reason why this comes into a series on Christmas throughout the Bible is the mention of the Messiah we have, is, like he's sitting there before the baby's born. Back in verses two through five, like there's the whole point. The people of God, specifically through Mary, the individual, right? But the people of God as a whole, bringing about the Messiah, he's gonna be born and the dragon's like, I'm gonna eat this baby. I'm gonna consume this. This plan will be done. And we see that happen in the Christmas narratives, right? Jesus is going to be born. Herod tries to kill all babies two and under. Jesus is going to be born. It's in this weird situation where God coordinates for it to be through a virgin birth. And the devil happily pounces on that as, like, well, this is inappropriate. This is stupid. You can't do this, you know, right? But God doesn't have Joseph divorce her. He doesn't have the people stone her. God preserves them through those possibilities. And instead, the angels like Joseph, this is cool. It's fine. I'm orchestrating this. You can take Mary as your wife. You can take care of them. You can take care of the Messiah. Right? God preserves all of that, even in the midst of miraculous situations. Throughout Jesus' life, there's any number of times. It's like people are going to throw him off the cliff because they think he's a heretic, and he just walks through them like, yeah, nice try. Like they, they're all mad. They're going to throw one guy off the cliff, and somehow he gets through anyway. <laughs> the only person who is supposed to be thrown off the cliff gets through without anyone stopping him. All these things. And then finally, finally the devil gets the upper hand and defeats Jesus on the cross that seals the devil's defeat forever. The only plan that the devil had was the very one that God orchestrated to beat him. None of it was ever going to result in the devil winning. And so we see here the dragon is angry at the birth of this child and then the child is captured. And that's what makes him so ticked is that he's beat. So like Merry Christmas, as we look at the baby in the manger, who is the sign of the dragon's defeat. Merry Christmas, as we look at the baby, who is the baby promised in Genesis 3, the ultimate seed who defeats the dragon. And the dragon knows it. So if the dragon knows it, we should too. 
And if he can be all mad about it, we can rejoice about it. If he can hate the sign of a poinsettia on the side, we can be happy about it. If he can hate seeing a baby in a manger, we can rejoice, not just because a baby's cute, but because the dragon's defeated and our salvation is assured. Jesus has come, the Messiah has come as promised through the preservation God gives. And just as God managed to preserve the Messiah, who was, let's be clear, in this passage, the first target, the dragon wanted to eat the child, that was the first goal. If God could protect the one target, he certainly could protect his people over the course of time. He certainly could protect the individuals among his people for the time of, of tribulation. This 1260 days, this time times and half a time that whether it's just intended to be three and a half years as half of seven, which is a number that's used to indicate completeness at times. So it's like, yeah, it's not even a full time. It's just a smaller time. Or whether it's intended to say like, you know, a time which is hard and times which is a little harder, but half a time is not as hard throughout these cycles of difficulty in life. A couple of different ways that symbol might be used. In both cases, it's saying essentially the same thing, that during this time of our trial on earth until Jesus returns, God's got it covered. During this time as the dragon rages and throws a fit that he doesn't have the toys he wants and doesn't get his way, God loves his people and cares for his people and protects his people. God brings us through the battles and the trials of life. And again, that's the hope that we look at. In, in verse 17, as it, it rests with the dragon's going to go make war, that ties directly into regular daily life. But it gives us this reminder that the cosmic picture shows God preserved the Messiah and beat the devil. God preserves his people as a whole and beats the devil. Like Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Right? God's doing that in the big picture. Big picture, Messiah beats the devil. Big picture, God's people are preserved, beats the devil. Smaller picture, each of us in daily battles, is he not also going to beat the devil there? Certainly he is. He can do far greater. And so he continues to do so. So as you look at it, I would encourage you Worship the baby. Worship Jesus, the one who is the sign of Satan's doom. We have every reason to do so, both on the very small scale of the beauty of the baby in the manger, of the, the cuteness of new life and all the hope that it brings and fulfillment of various prophecies and all of that, all these things that we commonly talk about. But then even when we zoom out to the grandest scale like this and Jesus' life is covered in a blip of a verse, he's born and taken up to God we still look and see he's worthy of praise for the grand scale as well. In the huge, massive picture, he is worthy of praise. And everything in between. But then think also on the resources you're given in life to endure. People of God are preserved. The dragon is mad and throws a huge river of water from his mouth. What does that look like if we're actually thinking of that? Like This is a big threat. A woman running to the wilderness with a huge pile of water rolling after her. The only thing that happens there in any movie is that the water washes over her and she's tumbling all over the place and hits her head on a rock or whatever else and now she's drowning, right? And then someone has to come rescue her. It's the only way that that turns out because huge piles of water are not something that humans just go, eh, I'm good, and stand against. Huge piles of water wash you away. It doesn't just say the dragon spits at her. Right? Like he huge, big pile of water. It's intended to convey a big deal. 
And yet God's like, oh yeah, um, hang on. I will open the earth and this water's gone. The big, huge things that, that can be sent against you are met equally with bigger and huger provision from God. So the resources you're given in this life to endure far outstrip the difficulties that may come. The question is whether you're willing to use them or not. Are we going to trust in the earth that God can open to eat the water? Are we going to trust in our ability to stand up and try to stop the water? Are we going to try to pretend like we can withstand the current of the river that's flowing? Or are we going to turn to the resources he's given? Because he's given them and he preserves and he says he will and he always does. And we've seen it through hundreds and a couple thousand years now of church history and a couple thousand years prior of the people of God's history since the beginning of creation, God is faithful over and over and over again. And then as we see this huge big picture view of what's going on here, where again, the life of Jesus is covered in a blip and really any of our lives would be like that as well. We're saying, yeah, and then they were born and then they were gone and then they were born and they were gone and then this stuff continued to happen. And the bigger picture thing that's happening throughout all these little births and deaths and births and deaths. So the fact that Jesus' life of 30 plus years is covered in half a sentence, ours are the same. Whether it's 30 years, 70 years, 90, whatever. Like it's a very short time in the span of things. And the bigger picture that's happening here is that God has handled everything of true and final eternal importance. It's going on in your life. It's going on in and around and beyond your life. And God has it all under control. So we look at this and we see how the Messiah is born. And the Messiah is the one who's going to rule the nations or shepherd the nations with a rod of iron, which is also a callback to the Psalms. As we see, the Messiah is the one who is going to do these things. And he's preserved and caught up to the throne. And the accuser is thrown down and defeated. And this huge picture. That's the worst stuff in terms of impact is the eternal stuff and God has it all covered. It's like when Jesus says to his disciples, don't fear those who can only kill you. Fear the one who can send your soul and body to hell. Like the worst that someone can do on this earth is kill you. And in the grand scheme of eternity, that's just this part. It's just a little blip. Like I live, I die, I'm gonna die by something. And the worst that can happen is that you can die a little sooner than you thought you might. But God has all of the big stuff covered. So whether it's health concerns or financial concerns or job concerns or relational, any number of things we could pile up, which are real, right? The battles remain. They're real, but the war is won. The big stuff is covered. And all the provision we need is there, taken to the wilderness in a place prepared to be nourished. All the provision we need is given by God. Even in Second um, Peter, at the start of Second Peter, chapter one, which I did not get a bookmark in. Here we go. Chapter one, verse three of Second Peter: His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And from His own glory and excellence, verse four, by which He has granted to us His precious and, pro- and great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world. And Peter continues for multiple more verses talking about the glory of what God's given. But even just that, he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through this 
precious and great promises, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness through God, through his spirit. You, through his work, through his spirit, are granted to go through his promises and become partakers of the divine nature. You, a human, living in the greater Greenville area of South Carolina in the year 2023, almost 2024, according to rumor, have the opportunity to partake of, take in, share in the divine God nature. But the battles are hard and life is hard and the trials are hard. What am I going to do? You have the chance to share in the divine nature. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness because of God, because of Jesus, because of what he has done. There is no end to these resources, friends, if we will take them. If we will rely on God instead of ourselves for the trials we face, if we rely on God instead of ourselves for the wisdom and the brains and the everything else that we need, there is no end to that resource. There's a lot of ends to the resources we have in ourselves. Like it ends basically before it begins. <laughs> what, what can I do to handle the trials of my life? Oh, that, and it fails, and I discover that there's something behind the wall that I didn't realize was there, and I don't know how to handle it. I'm the amateur. I'm only, I've only lived this life once so far, and there's only one time I'm going <laughs> to. So right now I've got 38 years behind me, and I don't know how many more are coming. But that's all the expertise I have. Meanwhile, God created it all. Meanwhile, God sustained it all. Meanwhile, the only reason my atoms are holding together is because God's doing it. His resources are infinite. The war is won. Jesus started it all by being born. Well, he, he kind of completed it, I'll say. He finished the war by being born. And the dragon knows it and he's mad. So worship the baby. Jesus is worthy. Think on the resources you have. Delight in what God has done. We know that God is sovereign. We know that the Satan is limited. It's not even really his proper name. He doesn't deserve the dignity of a proper name. But he's the accuser, and he's thrown down. We know that God's people will endure because God is faithful. So as we go into 2024, and we look forward to happy times and trials, because we're going to exist, and it's a year, in the course of a sinful and cursed world. It's, there's going to be good and bad. We can look to that knowing these are only little battles and the great war is done. These are only little battles and we get to look forward to eternity with God. We can serve faithfully in the strength he provides. So I'd encourage you as we close out the Christmas season and as we look to the new year to think on those things, to rejoice in those things and to be encouraged. Life's hard but God's good and he's sovereign.